Did you know that in the state of Tennessee, it's against the law to catch a fish with a lasso, to use a lasso to catch a fish? I didn't know that, but that apparently is on the law books in Tennessee. Did you know that in Tennessee, it's uh, illegal to gather and consume roadkill? Monty, do I need to say any more? <laughs> That's against the law. All right. Did you know in Tennessee it's against the law to transport snakes into the state? Well, not snakes, excuse me, skunks, skunks. It's against the law to transport skunks into the state of Tennessee. Did you know that? There are a lot of laws like that. You can do a little search and find a lot of crazy laws that are still on the books. I want to tell you, I don't have a problem keeping those laws, obeying those laws. I haven't been troubled with any of those things that we just mentioned. I mean, that's just not an issue to me. I don't have to, but I would tell you there are some laws in the state of Tennessee that are, are more challenging. For instance, there's this thing they call the speed limit law. I had to work at observing it even this very morning on the way to church service. I had to be careful, try to stay within the law on the speed limit. They got tax laws. We got to work at trying to stay legal according to the tax laws. So what we're saying is some laws are pretty easy to keep. Others are more difficult. Some are very hard. And I would suggest to you that just as some of man's laws are harder to keep than others, some of God's laws are too. And this morning, I want to address what I believe that we could identify as the hardest command. Do you know which one I'm talking about? There are a lot of commands that God, that God has given us, of course. Uh, would I be talking about, for instance, the command to love thy neighbor as thyself? Now, that's not necessarily always an easy thing to do. Sometimes our neighbors are not real lovable. And then to love neighbor as self means that I've got to stop being selfish, right? So that's a pretty hard command. But that's not the one I'm thinking about. What about the command that we're to be pure in heart? Is that the command that's hardest to keep? That's, that's a challenge, and that's a difficult thing. I think becoming increasingly difficult in our day and time because of all the modern media and all the different ways that are available for Satan to present challenges to us in our thinking, it's harder to stay pure in heart. That's a hard, that's a hard command. That's not the one I'm thinking about. What about the command to maintain moral purity, to avoid sexual immorality, for instance. That's not an easy one, especially for our young people in an age where everyone else is doing it. It becomes harder and harder for uh, people to maintain moral purity. But that's not the one I'm thinking about either. We could go on and on. There are some difficult, challenging commands of God for us to keep, but I believe that the hardest command is the command to repent. And this morning we want to talk about repentance. We talk, want to talk about the necessity of repenting if we want to be right with God. That's our lesson this morning. That's what we want to talk about. Before we go further into our study, I want to stop just to thank everyone for being present. We're very glad that you're here. We have visitors this morning. We're so grateful for our visitors. We hope you come again every time you have a chance to be here. Some of our own who've been away traveling, we've had a lot of people who've been gone over the past week. Many are back. Some are still traveling. But we're glad you're back home safely to us. Thanks for being here this morning. Let's talk about repentance. And as we begin our discussion of this important Bible subject, let's talk in terms of definition. Let's try to define our terms. Repentance involves necessarily a change of heart. 
I think all of us understand that actions are prompted by thoughts. You think about a thing first, and then you do it. Thoughts precede actions. Therefore, repentance has to start in your heart. In Proverbs chapter 23, at verse 7, it says, As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so what we think about leads to what we do. In regards to repentance, make the specific application. In regards to repentance, you have to commit to it in your mind before you will follow through in action. So it starts in the mind and in the heart. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7, the prophet says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to God and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. I want you to notice, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Do you see that there? Do you see that two things are mentioned? It's what you think about and what you do, your ways and your thoughts. And both those things have to be involved. Think about it this way for a minute. If you only do one of those, it's not going to work. In other words, if I only change my thinking, but I don't change my actions, that's not real repentance. Or if I try to change my actions, but I haven't really committed to it in my heart, I'm not going to stay with it. I've got to have both things. I gotta, it's got to start in my heart. It's got to be vis, uh, uh, visible, be manifested in the things that I do. So repentance is a change of mind. Now, we should point out that this change of mind is produced by godly sorrow. And our emphasis is on godly sorrow. In the text that Joel read for us earlier from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning verse 9, Paul was talking to the Corinthian brethren about a situation that had developed in the church there. Uh, he had, in the letter we call 1 Corinthians, he had been required to write to them and very urgently stress the need to discipline a man in their number who had been living an immoral life. Uh, and, and they had done that. They, in fact, there were a lot of issues that he addressed there in 1 Corinthians, and they apparently had taken care of a lot of them. And so Paul's writing here to talk about that. He said, I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance, for you were made sorry after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us nothing. In other words, Paul said, I wrote to you, and you accepted it. You were moved by godly sorrow. He says, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, the selfsame thing that she sorrowed after a godly sorrow, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all these things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. And so in Corinth, they were moved by what Paul said. They were moved with godly sorrow. They realized they weren't right with God, and they wanted to be. And they changed the things that were necessary in their life. They had godly sorrow. Again, emphasis on godly sorrow. Now, what's contrasted with godly sorrow? Well, the contrast to godly sorrow is worldly sorrow, right? Sorrow of this world. You know, worldly sorrow might cause you to do something different. Worldly sorrow is typically motivated and results from negative consequences that you're suffering in this life. And it may even lead you to do some things different, to reform in a way or another. But there's no salvation involved in worldly sorrow, even if it leads you to change some things in your life. For instance, give an example. Here's a man who's committing adultery. And he knows that he is, and he 
and he decides to stop it. Not because he's been motivated by anything that the Bible teaches, not because he's interested in being right with God, but he realizes if he continues this affair, his wife will likely find out about it. She'll probably divorce him. They'll go through all the ugliness of that divorce, and on top of that, it probably cost him a good bit of money because they have children, and he'll have to pay child support, and he'll have to go through all of that hassle. He's just going to break off the affair that he's been having because he doesn't want to suffer the this-world consequences of his deed. Well, it's good that he stopped his sin, but that's not godly sorrow, right? He was just trying to avoid immediate this-world consequences. Or what about the fellow who's a drunk? He drinks all the time. He drinks way too much. But he's been reading, you know, some of the health consequences of his drinking. And he realizes that if he keeps it up, he could seriously impair his heart. He could damage his liver. And so he's going to stop drinking or at least cut it way back because he doesn't want the health consequences. Well, that may be good in itself, but that's not godly sorrow. That's not repentance, and that doesn't affect his spiritual condition. Or we could give another example. Here's this politician. He's running for political office. But he's known to be a man with a horribly bad temper. And he curses and swears constantly. He decides, I'm going to have to change that. I'm going to have to change the way that I talk and act because if if anybody finds out that that's the kind of person I am, they'll never vote for me. And so he tries to reform himself in a way so that he can get elected. Well, it's good for a man to control his rage and to stop his swearing, but if it doesn't come from godly sorrow, a desire to be right with God, it's not going to affect his soul. Godly sorrow is when we realize that when we've committed sins of all fashion, we have sinned against the God who loves us so much and who blessed us so abundantly, and we want to be right with him. When that's what motivated us, that's godly. Godly sorrow leads to forgiveness and salvation and hopefully a home in heaven in eternity. And so this repentance we're talking about is a change of mind, but it's produced by godly sorrow, wanting to be right with God, sorry for our sins against God. And as we already said, this repentance must be manifested in a change of life. The fact of the matter is that we cannot turn back the clock and have a redo on some of the things that we've done. I think all of us, if we could do that, would probably like to do that. There are a number of things we'd like to go back, and if I had that to do over, I would not do that. can't do that. There's no redos. You can't turn back the clock. But what we can commit ourselves to is to say, with God's help, I'll never do that sort of thing ever again. And that's repentance. I've had a change of heart. I'm really sorry in a godly fashion for the things that I've done, and I'm committing myself that given the chance to live differently, I'm going to and I'm not going to do those things anymore. We mentioned the people in Corinth a moment ago. Think some more about them in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning verse 9. Paul says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Notice this. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. If you look at that list of things, Paul said the Corinthians had been involved in these sins and they had come out of these sinful situations in order to serve God 
There's some tough sins in that list. This is the King James Version where it talks about effeminate and abusers of themselves of mankind. But if you're reading a newer English translation, that's talking about homosexual activity. And by all reports, those who are homosexuals act like it's the next thing to impossible to change from that sin. The Corinthians had changed from that sin. Now, I'm not saying that that would have been an easy thing to do. I think that'd probably be a very difficult thing to do. If you had tendencies toward homosexuality, I can imagine that it would take a lot of work, be very hard to overcome those temptations, and yet the Corinthians had. They couldn't continue in those sins and be right with God. They had to change their actions. It mentions drunkards there. And we've all heard how hard it is for an alcoholic to give up his drinking. And yet they had. They had changed their course of life. And we can talk about all of those sins listed there and a and hundred more. These are tough things. And yet these people were willing to change and we must be willing to change too. I think one of the threats, and we'll talk more about this as we go along here, one of the threats is that when we read about sins like that, homosexuality, when we read about thievery, for instance, when we read about worshiping idols and so forth, well, I haven't done any sins like that. Those people were a lot worse than I am. Wait a minute. Those people were sinners, and so am I, and so are you. And if they wanted to be right with God, they had to be sorry after a godly manner and change their actions, and so must we. And so I hope, as we've been defining this word repentance, uh, we've also been able to explain perhaps why it's so difficult. Repentance involves a change of mind from godly sorrow that leads to a change of life. But having talked about the difficulty of that, let's also talk about the reasons why we should do it. Of course, the ultimate reason is for us to be saved from sin so that we can have the hope of going to heaven when we die. In the final analysis, nothing else matters. That's all that matters. If you miss heaven, when this life is over, you will just have missed it all. Your life will have been wasted and spent, and you'll have not heaven, but rather eternal torment to suffer as a consequence of that. If you miss heaven, you will have missed it all. The reason why we ought to repent is to be right with God so that we can go to heaven when this life is over. Jesus said it in 13, verse 3, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. You're going to perish if you don't repent. That's why this is so important. It's hard. We admit, we think it's probably the hardest command to repent. Yet if you don't, you will be lost. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but his long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What's God want us to do? Come to repentance. What if we don't? We're going to perish. He doesn't want, God doesn't want anyone to repentance, so we don't have to perish. In Acts chapter 17, verse 30, it says, the times of this ignorance, Paul had been, by the way, in this text, Paul had been preaching to the idol worshipers in Athens who didn't know about the true and living God. But he says, in the times of this ignorance, God winked at how commandeth all men everywhere to repent. What does God command? All men. That's us, right? Everybody. All men. Everywhere. To repent. God commands us to repent. And so, if we're talking about reasons why we should undertake this difficult challenge, Obey this hard command to repent. I need to do it so we'll be saved eternally. But I want to suggest to you, as we often point out, that changing our lives to live the way God wants us to live 
results in the best life for us here and now as well. I'm afraid that sometimes if we just only emphasize heaven, that some people will say, that's so far off and it seems so unreal. I can't get my hand on that. I can't can't actually touch heaven. It's hard to stay motivated about something abstract out beyond. Well, that may be right, although I think we need to certainly concentrate on that. We can also concentrate on the fact that living the way God wants gives us the best life now as well. I should turn from my sins. I should quit committing those evils because my life will be better if I do. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 15, it says, the way of the transgressor is hard. And that's the truth. People who are living sinful lives, don't, don't imagine, oh, they're having all the best. They're enjoying all the wonderful things because they engage in these sins. No. When they engage in these sins, the way the transgressor is hard, it brings all kinds of bad consequences right here, right now. The way of the transgressor is hard. You think the fellow, as we were talking about earlier, you think that fellow who's committing adultery, he has, he's having an affair, he's cheating on his wife, you think he's got the best of all things going on? No. His way is hard. And it's going to get harder if he doesn't repent. You think the fellow who's drinking, you think he's got it, oh, he's enjoying the good life. No. His way is hard. It's going to get harder as he keeps drinking. You think that fellow uh, that we were talking about, uh, the, the example, trying to think of the examples, we use, the, the politician, that's the other example we gave, the politician who's cursing and swearing and having fits of rage, you think he's enjoying his life now? No, his way is hard. The way of transgressor is hard. We need to repent of all of our sins. Because those sins are not helping us. They're making our way hard. As we repent, we enjoy blessings even now. First Peter chapter 3, beginning verse and see good days. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. We can have a good life and see good days now if we will turn to do the will of God. Luke chapter 15, we read the familiar story of the prodigal son. You know that story, don't you? Be reminded of just how bad a situation that prodigal son had got himself into. It says the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into our country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he went into the, uh, uh, and he sent him into his field to feed swine and he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. Talk about a fellow who'd gotten himself in a terrible situation because of a sinful lifestyle. He had lived wickedly. He'd lost everything. Now he's reduced to feeding swine. I think Jesus in this parable used that in particular to denote just a terrible, despicable condition. To the Jews, that would have been the worst of things to imagine. And he's in such bad shape, he'd like to, feed, he'd like to eat the food that he's feeding to the swine. He's just in a terrible state. What changed his situation? He came to himself. Starts in the heart, right? Starts with it. He came to himself and he said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He had a change of heart, and it led to a change of actions. What did he do? He repented. He'd gotten himself in a horrible condition, but he repented, and he was able to turn the situation around to improve his life, not just for eternity, but for the immediate uh, situation as well. And so we ought to repent. 
so we can be saved eternally. But we ought to repent too, so that our life here and now is better. With that in mind, let's ask one more question. Why is it that there's sins that people just won't repent of? Some people just simply won't repent. Now, we admit it's a hard command, but it's, there's certainly plenty of reason why we ought to. Why will some people not repent? Well, first of all, I would suggest to you that very often people have not realized the seriousness of their spiritual condition. In our Bible class this morning, we were talking about Nahum and the leper, and we made reference to leprosy. What a horrible, terrible disease, a terrible physical disease, leprosy. He certainly, Nahum and the leper certainly knew his terrible condition. One of the problems is we do not see all often our terrible spiritual condition, how bad our sins are, and what a terrible state we're in. That's why a lot of people won't repent, because they just don't see how bad it is. But in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, think about that for a minute. Um, uh, as we said earlier, sometimes we don't see ourselves as such bad sinners. There's certainly some bad sinners in this world, but I'm not, a, I'm not one of them. I haven't done some of those horrible things that other people have done. That's not the point. The point is, I'm a sinner, and you're a sinner, and you need forgiveness. We've got to see ourselves as having sinned, and therefore what we deserve, the wages of sin, is death. Chapter 6, verse 23, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We need to understand that we're worthy of an eternity in hell, and we are in desperate need of salvation. Uh, I think one of the reasons why some people don't repent is that they don't see it that way. They don't really see things as they actually are. I tell you, though, I'm certain that some people won't repent because they actually just love a certain sin too much. I think most people would be willing to give up many, if not most, of the sins that they're guilty of. But for, for lots of people, just one or two sins that they just can't seem to let go of. They're, they're committed to it. Maybe it's a bad habit like smoking or drinking. Maybe it's an adulterous marriage relationship that they've gotten themselves into, and so they just, they're just not willing to let go of that. They just won't repent of it because they just love it too much. And so what they do is they begin to look for loopholes, how they can get around it. They begin to look for some exception that they can work into their particular case. They start to look for a preacher who will tell them what they want to hear, that you're okay like you are, that you don't have to change. No. No. We need to really repent. And so, if even in situations where it's a, a case where we maybe are really committed to this thing we've been doing, even if we love it a lot, We've got to be willing to give it up. In Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You've got to forsake your sins. You've got to really repent, even those that you might, as we say, love so much. Finally, I'm sure that some will not repent simply because of stubbornness and pride. I, I believe that's ultimately the bottom line. The reason why people won't repent is they're just too proud to say, I'm wrong, I did wrong, i got to change things. Stubbornness and pride. In Luke chapter 18, you remember Jesus told about the, the Pharisee and the publican? 
Luke 18, beginning verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Now stop there for a minute. What do you see in him? There's no repentance indicated there, is there? Instead, just pride. He's even commending himself to God. Well, he's not going to get any blessing in that matter, right? Instead, the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes to heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbled himself shall be exalted. The humble attitude of the publican, a humble willingness to repent of our sins, is absolutely necessary for those who don't have it won't get to where they need to be spiritually. And so, what's the hardest command? I really think that repenting is the hardest command. You've got to have that change of heart about it. It leads us to a change of actions. It's worth it because we have the hope of heaven in eternity when we do, but we have a better life now also when we do. And therefore, understand your serious spiritual condition and repent. Uh, don't love this sin so much that it keeps you from repenting. And certainly don't be too stubborn or prideful to make the changes you need to make. Repentance is for us all. Part of God's plan for forgiveness. It is for those who are first coming to Christ to be saved, but it's also <coughs> necessary for us if we want to be sins that we have committed. Those who are not Christians. The simple gospel plan of salvation is hear the truth and believe it and repent of your Confess your faith in Jesus. Be baptized for the remission. Have you done that? Will you be right with God this morning? We'd love to assist you. We'd also be glad to study with you more. Let us know how we can help in that way. If you're a Christian already, but you fall away and you haven't been faithful to your Lord, you've got to repent and pray for forgiveness. We'd be glad to pray with you and for you this morning. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song.